Welcome to Save Station Radio. I'm your host, Dustin, and with me is my co-host... I'm Connor. And this week we're discussing Final Fantasy VII Remake, which was released on April 10th, 2020. At least most places. Uh, some places around the world may have gotten a bit earlier due to the coronavirus. Square sent it out like a week ahead of time to places like Australia and stuff. Unfortunately, we in America did not get that. Uh, but yeah, it's understandable. I, at most, I got it a day early because of the way GameStop pre-orders were working. But yeah, it's not that early. And then it's for sales numbers at the time of recording, we don't have anything super solid except we know that in the first three days it sold 3.5 million copies, which is really impressive. And I don't know, a lot of people were theorizing that this might be one of the highest selling games of the year just due to games not coming out. Uh, and I could totally see that. And I'm sure it's going to sell way more than that in the end. And then it ended up with a Metacritic of. 88, which I I think I might go slightly higher than that, but not too much. Yeah, I think I might go uh, quite a bit higher, but we can get into why that is. We'll get into that. And then if you are living under a rock or just don't know, uh, this is a remake of a 1997 game of the same name on the PlayStation 1. It's uh, Interestingly, it's not the first time they've tried to remake this game. And this is all from the Wikipedia, so... If this isn't accurate, it's Wikipedia's fault. But they apparently were going to remake this game on the PS2, and then they decided against it because they were afraid to cut content because the game would be too big, which, given what we know now, is hilarious, considering that this remake is only the first part of the original game. And then also in 2005, there was a PS3 demo that showcased the beginning of Final Fantasy VII. That one, it doesn't seem like they ever intended to make into a full game. It was just for demo purposes. But that kind of started the fire for fans wanting a remake of Final Fantasy VII since then, which 2005 to 2020, it's 15 years that people have been waiting, which is quite a bit. Yeah, and considering the length from 2020 to 1997, they've been waiting for quite a long time. Uh, this game was directed by Tetsuya Nomura, and if I mispronounce that, sorry. Interestingly, he was the original character designer for Final Fantasy VII, which is cool. We get that legacy, and there's actually a bunch of people carried over. He's kind of the most notable. Um, and then he also, interestingly, and uh, I hope he's okay, but he directed Kingdom Hearts 3 last year, so that dude's busy. I uh, hope he gets a break. Yeah, he's also the same person that's directed all of the Kingdom Hearts games, so if this project has been going since you know 2005 or even back for the ps2 then it's he's he's been in had his foot in the door i think that's all we have for grounding let's talk about sort of our history with the series and this game in particular and i'm gonna spoil it and say both of our answers we've never we neither of us have played the original final fantasy 7 unfortunately though i think that gives us kind of a, a cool perspective to do this podcast with yeah um my history with the final fantasy series as a whole has been like zero to none because it's really been i w was interested in the series so i tried final fantasy 6 on an emulator and did not get very far and that's about where it ends i've played all of the kingdom hearts games but i don't think that really counts 
Yeah, because those are more action-based, right? Yeah, and we'll get into that, but that is it is very similar to this game, actually. Yeah, so the only Final Fantasy game I've played is 15, and to be honest with everybody, the only reason I played that game is because it was an action game, and it looked cool. I struggle with turn-based games, which is why I've never played any of the other Final Fantasies, um, Final Fantasy VII included. Even though I love games from the PS1 era, I think that that game has never spoken to me. I think that that game of all the games has aged visually uh, really poorly on the on the PS1. If you don't know, it's got pre-rendered backgrounds and then character models on top of those backgrounds and those backgrounds look really bad. Yeah, the Final Fantasy 7 is one of those that, you know, you hear everyone talk about and I've just never given it a shot because I'm also the kind of person that cannot do turn-based games. Specifically really deep JRPGs. Like I can handle a Pokémon or whatever, but the JRPGs have just never been my thing. Although the, from what I hear, the re-releases of Final Fantasy VII on platforms like Switch and PS4, um, you can turn off random encounters, and you can also play the game at 3x speed. So that sounds a lot more tolerable. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and, I, and just to sort of transition into our general thoughts of the game without spoiling it, the quality of this remake has made me want to go back to the original. Which oh, says sure. a lot. Like, I'm actually considering going and buying the Switch version of the original game because I enjoyed this one so much. And that is that is an achievement, honestly. I never thought that would have happened. And I'm really curious to know what that version's like. Um, but just to talk about this game in general, I really, really loved it. I thought it was super fun. It was really compelling to hang out with these characters who I thought were, for the most part, fairly well-realized and enjoyable. And it really, honestly, I think part of the reason why I liked it so much, too, is it gave me Yakuza vibes, which are a series of games that I recommend everybody play, because it, it did the thing where it bounced between a goofy tone and a more serious one, and it, I think it did that fairly well, where I was laughing one moment, but then upset another, and I really enjoyed that sort of whiplash feeling of, like, we're, we're going to take something really seriously, but then don't worry, you'll laugh later on. I don't know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I definitely... The highlight of this game is the the characters and the character interactions. I think I, you know, having no experience with this game and the only experience with these characters being, you know, cameos and other things, it was really interesting to see that I connected with these characters in such a way that I didn't really expect. Um, I mean, I knew they would flesh the characters out, especially since you heard Dustin mention earlier that this is only like the first 10 hours of the original stretched out for a 35 plus hour game. And you would think, well, they're just stretching out something that was really boring, but like, it's actually the way they've stretched this game and stretched is not really a avid or a appropriate term, but the amount of depth they give to these characters and also the world that they're interacting with really made me connect with these characters. Yeah, I agree. Um, for the most part, I will say, you talk about stretching, I do think there are a couple of sections of this game that do feel a little fillery. Not overwhelmingly so, and not any more than in a normal game. It doesn't feel like because they've stretched out the original game, those sections are there. It just There are just a couple of moments where I was like, okay, we're doing this again. We're walking through this area a second time. We're doing this. We're doing these really mundane side quests especially early on that i was like okay i could do without this stuff especially because i will say a lot of people are saying this game is about 30 to 40 hours long for some reason and this happened to me with the last of us as well i spent 50 hours in this game 
part of that, I think, is because I'm stubborn and like doing side stuff. So probably that's a hell of my own making occasionally on those parts. But yeah, I spent a lot of time in this game. And even though I'm complaining about that stuff, it didn't really hinder my experience too much. That's why I'm like, I'd give it above an 88, but not much. I do think some of that stuff got to me a little bit. Yeah, I'm also the person that did all of the side quests, but I still only ended up clocking in about like 38 hours. You're just a real gamer. I'm just a real pro gamer over here. Um, and I think that's also, you know, some of my experience with the the Kingdom Hearts franchise, which getting into the gameplay of this game, it is very almost one-to-one Kingdom Hearts. There's enough differences for you to be like, okay, yeah, this is an entirely different thing, but the way the game feels and the combat especially feels, it is very Kingdom Hearts, which I know doesn't mean anything to you, Dustin, but... Well, I played 15, which people compared to Kingdom Hearts, so I, I feel like I have somewhat of a grasp of what that means, uh, even if it's tangential. I absolutely loved the combat in this game. I thought it was so compelling and so much fun, and it totally went... I went through a roller coaster where, the, where at first I was like, I don't know if I like this almost at all. It feels a little simplistic, and the turn-based elements they throw in there, I wasn't sure about, but... Once we get deeper into the game, it just really clicked for me in a way that I wasn't expecting and I adored at the end. Um, and for those of you who don't know, this game kind of works on an action-based system for the most part. And you do that to build up this meter called your ATB meter. Uh, and once you do that, you can do a turn-based action. And this breaks down into a couple different categories. Like there are attacks you can do, more powerful attacks. There are You can use an item or you could use a spell. And that system just really worked for me. There was a real rhythm to like real-time combat, pause the game, do a turn-based action, back to real-time. And I really appreciated it. And it really brought a level of strategy to the game that I wasn't necessarily expecting. Yeah, and this is a, you know, the original was a turn-based game. So, you know, diehard fans of that, I think will find their footing here with the turn-based integration and there is there even is a classic mode where the entire game is played turn-based which i did not play because that sounds boring to me but yeah i didn't check that out either um and it's also listed as like the easiest difficulty i don't know anything about that didn't try it but the the actual combat of you know getting these real-time hits in which will do a decent amount of damage and you know you can get stuff done that way but usually using that and the character specifics triangle ability which is you know mapped to the triangle button using that to fill the atb gauge to then strategize what kind of attacks you want to do with your party was really compelling especially later in the game it builds on itself really nicely with like different party members who can do different actions and then you get there's a this thing called the materia system which is like basically it's what you use to give your character spells um, you find them as like fire materia or wind materia and you get these sort of elemental spells and also sort of other effects like there's one called access, uh, um, assess which I used almost throughout the entire game which tells you what enemies are weak to. So there's many different uses for them and you kind of slot them into the characters however you want. You can really customize your sort of battle experience I guess depending on where you put your materia and they're not none of the materia is exclusive to characters so you can kind of mix and match how you want. You can make one character be a tank and one character be a healer if you want or you could just put the heal on everybody because that's important which is what i did oh for sure that's what i did <laughs> i will say though I, one of the problems i do have with this is i don't feel like it puts emphasis on it and i didn't really start experimenting with materia till towards the end of the game 
And I kind of wish, and maybe it did, and I just glossed over it, but I kind of wish they had put a little more emphasis on, like, hey, pay attention to the slots and which slots are linked and which aren't, because you can really do some cool stuff if you are. For example, there's a material called Magnify, and when you put uh, an elemental material next to it, when you use that, it uses it on everything in the arena. So, for example, if you have a fire spell, and you put the fire spell next to the Magnify, you cast the fire spell, and it hits every enemy in the arena. And what I learned is I put health on that, so when I cast health on somebody, it actually healed everybody for the same amount, which is the most useful thing ever. Okay, so this is interesting because I got material like that, but I had no idea how any of that worked. I did not know that the material right? slots were linked or how to work that. I was like, okay, I got this magnify the materia. How do I assign an element to it? And I was trying to figure that out. I just never ended up using it for the whole game. So I'm sure that probably would have made things easier if I had yeah. <laughs> experimented with that. I'm glad you said that because that proves my point where I'm like, I wish they had tutorialize that a bit better or just put a little more emphasis on telling the player hey go experiment with this stuff because you can really change the battle tactics and change what you're doing with it yeah my main materia strategy was um level up everyone's equipment for the maximum materia slots and then equip every character with every element and then level those up to get more powerful spells that way everyone can do everything and i don't have to worry about who's doing what yeah and i was doing that but towards the end of the game i was realizing like oh no, some of this material that's not elemental is actually super important, and if you're paying attention to what you're linking it to, you can really do some powerful stuff, which is probably why I ended up spending so much time in this game, because I was just experimenting with this stuff. And you can really, like, I started tailing characters. I started, I put, um, I put the most my most powerful heal on Barrett and then put the magnify on that, so every time we needed a heal, I would switch to Barrett to build up his ATB gauge rather than somebody else's, because if I used his heal on cloud or whatever it would heal everybody in the arena which was super useful and it's stuff like that that really brought out the strategy in this game that i really appreciated and respected yeah and you mentioned uh switching characters for this game you're not just playing as cloud you know he's the main character and that's the one you control in like the overworld but in battle if you have other characters in your party then you can swap between them and it's not just you know, if you if their meteor is full, then you can give them a command to perform an action, whether you're controlling them or not. But each character has their own specific triangle button ability, and that will do something different, and it will, you know, serve to fill the ATB gauge or just do different attacks that you can't do just by giving them commands. And for some of those trickier fights swapping between characters frequently becomes really useful yeah totally it again it just builds into the strategy and there are i will say if you're looking at gameplay of this game trying to decide if it's for you it looks very complicated there's a lot of meters on screen there's a lot of things happening i think the game does a decent job with the exception of the more advanced material stuff of tutorializing you and kind of leading you into doing more complicated actions and knowing what these bars mean. I think that first mission does a pretty good job, which, I mean, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, right? Because you have your ATB gauges. Uh, Phil, you have your health bar. You have your your magic points, your MP, that I wasn't paying attention to until about halfway through this game until I started running out and went, oh, I need to pay attention to that one. Then you have your limit gauge, which is a, like a, when that gauge powers up, you get an ultra-powerful 
move. It doesn't have to be an attack depending on which character you're using and which material you have equipped. Um, and that's like if you played Smash Brothers or something with Cloud, that's his like weird like slash symbol thing. It's his first one. Um, so they're kind of powerful like cutscene attacks. And then you also, in some fights, not all of them, you might get a a summon meter that'll pop up that'll allow you to summon a, a an ally which is kind of like this ultimate dude it looks really cool there's a huge cutscene for it and you can kind of command that guy to attack for you it kind of adds another character to your party for a limited amount of time so there's kind of a lot going on on screen but again i don't think it's actually complicated once you get into the game yeah it's mainly just managing you know what attacks you want to be doing what uh like how much mp or hp you have and then just managing those and then the rest of the like meters and stuff are just there to supplement that so it kind of filters into you know protecting yourself or dealing damage and how you want to approach that is really up to you so we're talking about the combat a lot but what did you think about the elements outside of combat because i do think that that is kind of a weaker point to this game i think that running around the city doesn't feel that great unfortunately it's not terrible but there are a lot of like it essentially like this game masquerades as kind of like an uncharted god of war style adventure game where there's set beast moments and stuff like that except it doesn't require any skill to do those things so it's a little hard to explain in the world there'll be these blue arrows and once you walk across those blue arrows you just know you just press forward on the stick and the things are going to happen and there's no danger in it so eventually you learn that and it just it takes all the fun out of these set pieces which in something like an uncharted you're scared you're going to die so it keeps it exciting all the way through but here it's just kind of like okay this is this is a little boring because of this yeah those are the kinds of things where you have to you know shimmy through a tight space or crawl under a thing you know when i when i started seeing those quite frequently i was less thinking about oh well this is just part of the level design and more oh this is a place where the developers need to load the next area and don't want you running in too fast absolutely and most of the time i think that's fine i that technique like a lot of games have done the like shimmying between walls like tomb raider and stuff i think that's fine except there are places in this game where you do that where it makes no sense where you'll be like in an area that's like you shouldn't have to shimmy between these little walls to get here that's ridiculous this third is fine it's not like you know, in Uncharted or Tomb Raider where you're raiding an ancient tomb or whatever. It just feels a little silly occasionally. Yeah, I don't know. I That didn't really bother me at all. To be clear, it wasn't that bad. It's just, like, in areas, especially when I was going back and forth between certain places, um, one of the levels where I got lost and I ended up walking over this pipe, like, three times. And it was just, like, the slowest, like, just, like, you're clearly loading this next area, but this kind of stinks. And then, like, there's an area with a bunch of side quests where you have to kind of crawl into this back space behind buildings that just was like okay this is a little painful to have to go through every single time i want to get here but ultimately i do think it is kind of a minor nitpick yeah i actually really enjoyed exploring you know the quote-unquote overworld you know the areas outside of combat because you know i just um and this has more to do with the story than it does the gameplay but I just really love the world and the world building that they do. It's not perfect, but just being in the environment really, like, it just really lets you soak in the atmosphere of this city and, you know, what side of the city you're on and what kind of environment it is. And 
um, all that just really shines when you're, you know, just exploring and talking to people and doing side quests. Totally. I think it's, it's, and, and for the most part, it's a really gorgeous game, which really adds to the sort of environmental um, things you're talking about, except for occasionally there'd be like a weird N64 texture. Did you notice that sometimes? Oh yeah, it just has trouble loading textures sometimes, so it's extremely low res. And yeah, um, some of the cutscenes when it will cut to like Cloud and he's in front of a wall and the wall looks like it was ripped out of the Super Nintendo and you're just like, oh, well, <laughs> okay. Yeah, it really sticks out, especially because these characters are so high detailed and they look so cool and like realistic to a certain degree and you're just like looking at them you're like oh this looks amazing and then there's an n64 texture behind you what happened (laughs) yeah it's really sad it's really and i i don't know if that's like a problem with this game or if it's just the ps4 showing its age it probably a combination of both to be honest yeah Um, i honestly think this game looks absolutely phenomenal for the ps4 it looks like something that if you had convinced me that this was for the PS5, I probably would believe you, and I honestly am wondering if the next couple games are going to be on the PS5, so some of those graphical oddities might be smoothed out with better hardware, but I do think they're I do think they're pushing the PS4 to its limits here. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, and it should note, you played on a normal PS4, and I played on a PS4 Pro. I don't really know what those differences are. The frame rate, I, I'm not a huge like technical guy unless i see it right in front of me it seemed stable though um i couldn't you know i i didn't really notice any drops too too many at least yeah i didn't notice any frame rate drops uh the only thing was the textures being low res and i pro that's probably what they were doing to keep that frame rate set steady yeah i'm sure and i'm sure once they release this game on pc it'll probably that problem will probably go away Let's talk about the music real quick. I just, it just, it's so good. Like, I don't know that I have any nuanced things to say about it, except that, wow, it, it really, really impressed me. Um, in the way that, like, like I don't know, McWarden's music impressed me for Doom last episode. Like, listening to this music, it got me hyped up, and it really, like, especially the battle music, it just was phenomenal and really fit perfectly with what you were doing. Yeah, and, you know, the Final Fantasy series, whether you've played them or not, has really iconic music. And, you know, that victory fanfare especially. But since this isn't really a turn-based game and there aren't random encounters, you know, you can see the enemies coming up. And then once you kill them, you just go back to walking around. The way they integrate stuff like those fanfares and the battle music and all that just is really, really great. It put a smile on my face every time Barrett sings the <laughs> the victory fanfare. But I also, you know, the battle music is fantastic and it does change depending on what battle you're in, you know, whether it be like a scripted in the arena or just certain areas, but the actual area music also was just so good. And some of my favorite pieces of music from this game are actually like background um, area music. Yeah, I I agree. There's that one music in a section I don't like. Um, and I don't want to talk too much about the section because if we want to, we can get into it when we talk about spoilers. But it's 
It's uh, it's in the tunnels. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, that's my favorite piece of music in the whole game. That's it's so good. That and then there's I don't know if it's the main battle theme, but the sort of rock version of the old uh, Final Fantasy song. It's just like the hypest thing in the world. It, it's really good. Oh, the yeah, one disappointment sure. I have with the music is you can go find records, and I don't really know if it has this music or other music on them, because when you go to play these records, they all sound terrible, which is really unfortunate. I would really love a good menu to just go listen to this music, because it's so good. Yeah, and you can find the soundtrack on YouTube, but I know it's not the same. But, man, do do go look it up on YouTube. The track Under the Rotting Pizza is the one that's just really great. And then, real quick, let's give our quick general thoughts on the story. I thought it was great, though. That being said, I do not think it puts Beth's foot forward. I think it's fine. But I think it took me all the way till Chapter 4, which I went through specifically why, for me to actually truly start loving this game's story and its plot and its characters. Um, the first couple I just thought were like, okay, I don't think... Especially... Barrett and Cloud, who are the first two characters you spend a lot of time with in this story, I don't think they come across great, at least for me, in the first, in the opening minutes of this game. And it, it just took me a while to warm up to it. I don't know if you had a similar experience or if yours was a little Yeah, better. and I think that's kind of the point with Barrett and Cloud specifically. You know, Cloud is a ex-soldier and he's really not into, you know, he's just in it for the money. He's just doing a job. He's not really wanting to get too involved with anything. And then Barrett's kind of standoffish with that attitude being on his team. And, you know, that's kind of how the characters develop throughout the game. So um, I definitely understand that. The rest of the Avalanche gang, Jesse, Wedge, and Biggs, they are just great. They're super fun. Oh, they're phenomenal. Especially Jesse. Her character is so much fun. Uh, And Biggs is played by that dude from Breaking Bad, which was really fun. That guy's a good actor. Uh, no wedge sorry i said thanks yeah wedge is played by badger from breaking bad who's like the he's one of the drug dealers that they'd always like have random conversations about star trek and stuff and the show was always really funny yeah uh, and wedge is kind of the comic relief character but yeah. you know he's still pretty compelling he's pretty fun and I, I i'll talk specifics about why i didn't really love the characters at first when we get to it we should say the premise of this game is essentially cloud is is a what you said an ex-soldier now he's a mercenary just doing work for hire and he's been hired by this group called Avalanche, who are basically eco-terrorists. And they're doing a bombing run on this massive reactor because they believe that this this reactor is, that the, these reactors are killing the planet and they're trying to save it. Uh, and that's the basic premise of the game. The reactors are pulling magical essence known as Mako like, out of the planet and they're worried that that's going to start killing the planet. And the people behind the reactor is the Shinra Corporation which is also like the governing body of the entire city, the city of Midgar. So it's really, it starts off especially um, as, you know, Cloud joining this gang of terrorists known as Avalanche, and it's really just Avalanche against Shinra. But then as the characters develop, as the story develops, it becomes a lot more. Yeah, totally. Like I was saying before, I kind of have, I didn't really love the beginning of this game as much as I loved the what when we got past chapter four. And then I will say the ending of this game is some straight up anime bullshit. 
And <laughs> I get that this is a remake of an old game, but you're remaking it in such a new way that I wish you had been a little more accommodating to people who have never played the original and its spinoffs, apparently, which it also references heavily. Because I was so lost during the end of this game, and it took me a minute of listening to other people's spoiler casts and looking at videos to like fully understand what was happening. And even then, I'm still a bit confused. I, I wish it was a bit better at the end. It kind of feels like it falls apart a little bit. Well, and not spoiling anything, but I believe the ending to this game is a lot different than the original game. Yes, like, and other we're going to than... get into that. Yeah, because this is only the first 10 hours of the original, but they do some big leaps away from the original in terms of story. So, you know, if you're expecting just a one-to-one remake, it's going to just be something that you were not expecting. And then other than that, I think this game has a lot of fun surprises that you should try to experience without getting spoiled. They're just a lot of silly, goofy characters that I absolutely loved, and there's some good stuff in here, and I, I highly recommend it. I don't know, what about you? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, it's still pretty early in the year. This game came out in April and we're recording probably about a month after that. But it is already in contention for one of my favorite games of the year, you know, right up there with Doom Eternal. So it's, you know, it's I would definitely give it a high praise. The story was really compelling. The gameplay is fun through the whole 35 to 50 hours that you spend with it. Um, the graphics are some of the best looking on the PS4, except for some minor hiccups. And the music, you know, you can look up the music and experience that for sure. But yeah, definitely worth the $60 that it runs. And it's also weird that, and I was unsure about getting it at first because it's only the first part of the game. You know, this Final Fantasy VII remake project is still going. But this to me feels like a complete experience on its own that leads into a sequel rather than feeling unfinished so if you're worried about that then i would say it's it's worth it on it to play by itself to the point where if you had just given me this game and not told me it was a remake a part one of a remake of seven i would have been like oh that was a full fat nice experience like i didn't feel like the story i felt like it had a nice crescendo crescendo you know, that word. It worked well for me, and I never felt like I was being cheated on content or story or a good payoff. It it felt pretty good. Yeah, for sure. Even with the garbage anime ending. But yeah, if you're ready, why don't we get into spoilers and talk about our favorite moments? And by the way, if you've been listening to this podcast, we're changing up the format a bit. We're not going to do a full analysis, just because I think it might provoke some more interesting conversation to talk willy-nilly about what we liked best and maybe some parts we didn't instead of walking through every little element of this game. Also, this game, like I said, it took me 50 hours, and I just think like a four-hour podcast walking through every little thing it just isn't isn't going to be as fun. Yeah, so we have pretty detailed notes here, but we're going to skip around for sure. Yep. So, like I said, you should play this game, and if you have, we're getting into spoilers now, so run away. I want to start off by talking about the most important character of this game, maybe of this gen, maybe of all time. And that character, ladies and gentlemen, is one Hellhouse. 
<laughs> we're just jumping straight to hell house all right oh my god hell house i can't, i can't wait to talk about hell house dude i'm so excited when that happened it, i don't i feel like video games don't make me laugh out loud that much it's pretty rare this is one of those moments it got me so hard I, it's one of the funniest <laughs> like getting to those arena fights and doing those arena fights and they said hell house and i went that's weird is that somebody's weird wrestling name and <laughs> goddamn home pops out of the floor this is fucking incredible i love this so much a legit mechanized house pops out of the floor of the arena and you have to fight it like a like idealized american dream version of a house it's so funny it starts shooting rockets at you it's so fantastic yeah this game has so many like weirdo enemies that are just like like they're enemies that are basically cars or whatever and this is just this this is the top it's so good and apparently it is in the original game it's like a it's kind of hard to get you have to run around the same area and hope it pops up so it's really fun that they put it here on the main story path yeah it really it really got me i thought it was hilarious i want to talk about my favorite enemy and it comes i don't remember where it comes it's probably pretty later um and that's the tonberry did you fight the tonberry is that the little green dude? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I did. That Tonberry. enemy is amazing. Tonberry can kick your ass, man. He was, he showed up. I was like, okay, I'm going to fight just another gang of, you know, ruffians. And then they're like, oh, we got a secret weapon. It's this cute little green dude. And I'm like, oh, he's great. This is cute. He's got a knife. And then he could just start one-shotting your team. And, oh, man, I... I love that guy. He's my favorite enemy. Yeah, I want a little figure of him. He's great. I think I saw they're selling like 18 and a like a foot and a half sized plushes of him and I was really tempted. Oh, that's awesome. I wish I had more money. Yeah, he, he was <laughs> sure. he was great. Also, shout out to all the wacky anime boys. <laughs> There's so many of them. And they're I mean, all this great. is Final Fantasy. This is the this is one of the progenitors of wacky anime boys. I don't feel like 15 had this many wacky anime boys than it, though. This feels more like Yakuza levels of wacky anime boys, and I'm here for it. They're so rude. Rude is the best of them. Rude is great. He's very. He's a very serious man. And you, uh, <laughs> if you punch his sunglasses off, he then takes out an identical pair of sunglasses and puts them right back on. It's the funniest goddamn thing in the world to me. He has like six pairs of sunglasses. <laughs> It's so good. He's always prepared, you know? He's always prepared. Also, there's a fun Easter egg with him. Do you know, um, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about it. When, you, when you're when you on the tower, when they're about to drop the plate, you know, that boss fight with him and Reno, if you take care of Reno and then just fight him with Tifa, he won't use most of his moveset on her because I guess in the original game he has a crush on her, which is huh. a really fun Easter egg that bears out in gameplay, which if you're playing this game on hard, I guess is the strategy, which is really cool. Yeah, I think I did take care of Reno first, and I was probably using Tifa because her um, Omni Strike ability is just really powerful. But mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess I just didn't pick up on that. But that's really interesting. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really neat thing. You want to talk about some other great gameplay moments? Sure. What do you got? Um, I want to talk about darts. <laughs> that stupid <laughs> um, darts game. Oh my god! I spent way too long on darts. The yep. killed it though. <laughs> Killed it. Yeah, Absolutely there's... killed it. Oh yeah, for sure. Perfect one, every uh, time. Number one. The the darts, the squats, and the pull-ups are all these three like weird, not really important 
side quest mini games, but man, I enjoyed all of them. They're so fun. <laughs> I enjoyed the squats. I did. I hated the pull-ups. It took me. It was one of those things where again I was just really stubborn about it, and I spent way too long trying to do it, and it was really late in the night. And it's one of those stupid video game things where I gave up, came to it the next day, and beat it the first try. <laughs> yeah. Like, God damn it. That one took me a while to do too. But yeah, that's great. Um, the the motorcycle moments, which I'm going to talk about in depth too. I I enjoyed. I really enjoyed the first one. Um, well, actually, let's just talk about it here since I'm here. I want to I want to do a walkthrough of chapter four because this is the point where I started loving this game. Um, because before that, um, I was I was kind of alluding to it earlier. I don't love Cloud and Barrett with how they're introduced because, and actually, I guess Cloud is fine. It's really Barrett. He's very overreacted and he's just he's really intense. Like there's a point where he points his gun at Cloud and I'm like, this is this is a lot. This is a lot to handle. And I'm kind of I've kind of I feel like the game is trying to make me hate Cloud. I'm kind of like I'm kind of on his side on this. Barrett, you seem a little unhinged, and and his character improves drastically through the game. But I I don't feel like that first mission really made me like him at all or made me like want to support him <laughs> but as we go on i think oh also when we get to chapter two and they're like oh we can't pay you but what if you went and did a bunch of odd jobs i was like fucking pay the man <laughs> uh, don't hire him and not pay him i'd be moody too yeah that's that's in chapter three when after you get back to sector seven and they're like uh yeah we don't have yeah. any money it's like oh okay chapter three is also where the worst side quests are so i think i just just like this is not great. Yeah, you um, do get to meet Chadley, and Chadley's pretty great. Chadley's pretty fun. But then we get to Chapter 4, which is where I turned a corner with this game, because Chapter 4 has everything, and we'll walk through that. But, like, Chapter 4 starts out, and Jesse's like, Jesse, who's, by the way, just super horny for Cloud. <laughs> it's like, She's hey, also the demolitions expert, so. Yeah. Hey, I need I need to do a secret mission. We I have to do this, and I can't let the others know, so I'm going to pay you with this... Uh, Summon material, which is very valuable in this world, I guess. So they do that, and they start off, and right away I'm already feeling camaraderie because they start off, and Biggs and Wedge are waiting there, and she's like, oh, you're here? And they're like, no, we're not going to let you go alone. And so I'm already like, oh, this is fun. These characters are all super fun to watch and interact. And then we get this bike mission, which I was not expecting at all, which is sort of this mini game where you are riding your bike, and I heard people compare it to the old game Road Rash. I don't, I've never played those games, so I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very much like Road Rash. It honestly, maybe it was just the aesthetics, but it reminded me of the opening to Astral Chain. Yes. So that, that I was going to say that. It did remind me of that, except I liked it better. Like, you essentially can swipe left and right with your sword as these dudes on Serena motorcycles come up to k- take care of them. And it just has this, it's very simple, but it's also very satisfying. And it really works. And I don't feel like the segment goes on for too long. Like, it goes on just the right amount of time for me to not be sick of it. And also part of that's, too, because we meet Roche, who is another wacky anime boy with, like, really long, I don't know, 70s, 80s band hair. And he's just this wacky goofball. Yeah, talk about the wackiest of anime boys. He is insane. He is, un- talk about unhinged, because he is... I love him. He's he the is best. fantastic. He's so fun. He, like... He taunts you and he's fighting you while on the motorcycle and it's just so wacky and unnecessary motorcycle stunts all the time. Yeah. It's he's like riding backwards taunting you and like and the whole time you've got Jesse who's riding on your motorcycle who's very funny and entertaining. Like it's just it's just a great segment. And it was really like, Oh, this is awesome. And then we get to the upper level, we we defeat Roche and he rides away. 
and we get to the upper plate where we're going to, and this is all being revealed via narration from Jesse as we're doing it. And we get to Jesse's parents' house, which is such a, it's just so good. Jesse's parents seem very sweet and lovely and they want her friends to come in. And so they end up having pizza. Their mom makes them pizza in the middle of the night. It's just really adorable mission, but Cloud does not join them. He sneaks around to the back of the house. And again, we're getting Jesse's sort of dialogue over top, telling us what the mission is as we're doing it. And she's telling him to sneak into the house. And the whole time we can hear Jesse and the others to the wall. And it's a moment that got me. And it's a moment that like affected me in the sense that like it made me sad. And that's what I'm talking about with this game bouncing between serious and heavy moments. Where she's like, okay, we're going to go in. And we need to we need to take this key. You need to get it from my father. You're going to go into the room and don't worry, he won't notice you. And as she says that, you walk into the room and he's hooked up to a hospital bed and clearly comatose and not responsive. Like, it's this very... And it works. Like, the way she phrases it and the way he walks in there, it's just like... It's, it's really, honestly, pretty great writing for a game that I don't think has amazing writing. But this moment, I it really got to me. Yeah, and you also you also get in there and you can start you start getting more environmental storytelling of, you know, you see the father in the hospital bed, but then you can go explore and look at like family photos and different notes written by like, um, by Jesse's mom. And then you go to his like work workman's uniform and take his key. So, you know, you know, he was pretty, he was good at his job, but something went wrong. And none of that is quite overtly explained to you, but Mm -hmm. you know, just having being in that, environment really shows and i think the game does a really good job of doing that throughout yeah it it, it it's really a nice moment and a kind of a heart-wrenching moment even if it is easy right it's easy to show us a character on a hospital bed for us to be sad but i think it works it really works in this context especially since we just had wacky motorcycle race with roche you know not 10 minutes before this yeah and it's also one where jesse is hiding the fact that she's with avalanche so you know, it's just her and her friends and her parents are like, oh, yeah, I want you to support your friends and hang out. But then, you know, you're secretly wanting to blow up reactors and stuff. So it's kind of hiding this stuff. And it's almost implied that um, something similar is why her dad's in the bed was some sort of work accident, not necessarily blowing up the reactor like you guys have done. But, you know, so this sort of thing and how... Um, and this, this kind of environmental story telling stuff came in in chapter two after you blow up the reactor and you're walking through the city and the city is kind of like fucked up because it just had a giant explosion happen and seeing how people are affected by that. And I think that level of like seriousness while you are controlling a spiky haired anime boy with a nine foot sword, like I think that sort of it's kind of impressive that it can bring that level of seriousness in this kind of wacky game. It's great. And you can tell when that explosion happens because it's not the bomb that they planted was not meant to cause a ton of damage. It was just meant to blow up the reactor, nothing else, but Shinra ends up blowing the reactor in order to frame them. So it ends up causing a massive, I mean, it feels like a terrorist attack, right? Like definitely people died. They don't focus on that, but definitely innocent people died. And Jesse is torn up about that, which is what makes this stuff so powerful, I think. She wants to go get more supplies so she can build a more efficient bomb for the next reactor so this doesn't happen again. Which is why you're here in the first place, which is why you're getting her father's keycard. 
which I didn't get that it happened for an accident. For me, it seemed implied that it just happened because they are making their workers spend too much time with the Mako, which is poisoning them. And this yeah, is just inevitable. That's, is the that's another got, part of it. Which is, I think, more tragic in a, in a sense. Yeah, and it also just serves to show how evil Shinra is and how they're the big bad guys. And... But yeah, it works very effectively. And then after that, Jesse runs ahead to the factory where she's going to steal these parts, and Wedge and Biggs tell Cloud about, like, hey, don't bring this up to her, but this is why her father's here. Like, they kind of give you the whole backstory about it, and she's eaten up about it. And, you know, we get more time with Jesse and, and, and or not Jesse, Wiggs and, Wiggs, Wedge and Biggs, and they're great, and it just, it just really works. And then we get this awesome arena fight that I think is the first time I thought the combat really shone through and really clicked for me, where it's just throwing you waves of dudes and, like, robots and stuff, and then Roche comes back, and he's wacky again, and you're fighting him, yeah. and he actually takes out some robots for you because he's a nut job, and he's like, oh, I just want, he's like... I well, just yeah, want to taste, I just want to fight. He's a, and he's a soldier, so he technically works for Shinra, but he just does not give a fuck, and he runs over a bunch of Shinra grunts with his motorcycle. It's pretty great. Um, this is also kind of where the combat and the story are in the characters blend really well, because uh, Wedge and Biggs never end up joining your party as like a playable character. But no, the way that... Yeah, but the way that, like, Biggs will be taking out things as you're fighting the guys on the ground, he'll be taking out the cannons, and then Wedge will come and, like, throw bombs, and you can lure the guys into the bombs to, um, into, the, like, the trip mines to use in combat, and it really shows how this avalanche gang works together, and doing that with the actual gameplay and having gameplay you know benefits for working together I thought was really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a... F- it's a great fight i think and it again it doesn't go on for too long like you really get a sense of how the battle system works and this is the first time you get to use a summon which is awesome and really epic feeling and cool and it just it also emphasizes very well and this is also where after this we get avalanche proper who comes in and storms the place and we get the storytelling which i thought was great where you realize like oh wait these dudes i've been hanging out with aren't part of the main sector core they're actually considered extremists when we talk about avalanche which is like really cool storytelling and really puts into perspective what they're doing and why they're sneaking off and why there's only a couple of them versus like this whole militia and it really it really worked for me and then we get out and they're kind of hiding from the avalanche group which by the way which will come to kind of a larger problem have this game somebody could just look to the left and see them all hanging out but whatever um, and it's just this really cute scene because they get back to Jesse and they're sort of like dogging each other and shitting on each other like the way friends do and it just, it really worked for me I was like I want more of this like this is so great these characters hanging out and joking and just having a great time yeah for sure this this was a moment you know and it's comic relief that oh Wedge got his butt bitten off by a rabid beast or something so we gotta you know play around with that but it just really builds to the characters of you know, these are a bunch of friends that, while they are doing something, you know, for the fate of the planet and, you know, blowing up structures and stuff, they're still just, you know, friends who look out for each other in the end. And I think that really shows through here. And you get the sense they've been friends for a while, uh, which is nice. And and we get just more cases of them escaping and them diving off the plate with parachutes. It's just, just a really fun scene. And then we get to the bottom and, again... 
Jesse, just super horny for Cloud, asks him to come over. Um, and is like, you know, come over anytime. Like, very, it's, it's, it's very endearing, I think. And then we wake up the next morning and we get our first major, like, um, I guess at this point they're ghosts, but we know them as whispers later on where they're just engulfing the slums and they're fighting them. And because of that, Jesse ends up breaking her leg. And so they need somebody else to help them with the next reactor. So they hire Cloud once again. And I just wanted to say the reason why I think this chapter has everything that this game showcases. It has comedy, it has ridiculous moments, it has fun character interactions, but it also has tragedy, it has sadness, it gives you stakes. It gives you reason why these characters are doing the things they are. And it just works so well for me. And this is why I started to love this game at this chapter. This is why I started to care about these characters at this chapter. Um, and this is where it fully clicked for me. Yeah, when it when the game is just doing that, where it's, you know, you're just a kind of a ragtag group of friends looking out for each other and, you know, working for your your goals, but ultimately just protecting each other. I really really connected with the story on that level and we and that's kind of why the ending started to lose me is because it kind of gets away from that um i don't know about you but probably around uh chapter like 14 i want to say no not 14 uh around chapter 16 yeah once you get into the shinra building and the like research center and all that that's where it started to lose me oh i didn't mind all that stuff we do get a lot of introductions or at least reintroductions to shinra characters at the end of the game that i'm like ooh, we're a little late to be introducing like five new characters five new villains and it, it does feel like it moves a little fast for that stuff or we get cutaways of like different shinra directors and it's just kind of like who's this person what are they doing one of you seems fine. The other ones seem like cartoon villains. Okay, moving a bit, moving a bit fast here. You talked. You talked about chapter four being like the best microcosm of this kind of, you know, the the tone of the game. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, chapter twelve and chapter thirteen because this this moment especially just like really hit me hard and was like, oh dang, this game is really good. <laughs> um, in chapter 12, this is after the whole wall market stuff, which we'll get into. Uh, I want to talk about that too, but um, the they find out that Shinra is planning to drop the plate on the Sector 7 slums, which is massive because the whole city of Midgar is these eight like mechanical plates sitting above ground level where the slums are. So for them to drop an entire one of one of eight plates that not only you know destroys the entire slums underneath it but it also destroys the entire plate of what's considered the upper class it it kills all them too so that's really rough mm-hmm. so they're trying to prevent that you're climbing up the support tower and you see your avalanche buddies the main avalanche core is also working to stop this and the the Turks with Reno and Rude are trying to make sure it happens, but you, you know, it's really where the characters are pushed to their limits because Tifa and Aerith, who are with you, which we didn't talk about Aerith, but that's fine. Um, you all played the game, presumably. Yeah. But uh, Tifa and Aerith and Cloud are all running up the tower, and 
you see the other members of Avalanche. You see Biggs and Jesse and Wedge, and they're all like already on the verge of death. And their death scenes are Biggs and uh, Jesse's deaths are very poignant and very sad, and just like like the level of respect that Biggs gives Cloud is just really endearing. And then Jesse's death is truly upsetting, and it got me. To be honest with you, it really did. Like she fist bumps him and it's just like oh this is so adorable like and this sucks and it's sad and it really works yeah and having those level of stakes as you're climbing the tower you know you're you're really trying to prevent the plate from falling and me having no experience with final fantasy 7 i don't even know if this happens in the original probably it does but just having that hope that oh we need to stop this or else the entirety of sector 7 is done so and that is the bar that you were in the entire game all of the townspeople that you would talk to the you know johnny used to live there i think he's gone at this point but barrett's daughter marlene which you have you play as Aerith to go save because you're worried that the plate is going to fall and you're not going to be able to stop it it's that same sort of loss of hope that a lot of great a lot of great media gives where you have the stakes and, you know, something that isn't quite the same, but like Halo Reach, where you are already giving giving up hope that you're not going to succeed, but you're still trying to su- succeed anyway. That stuff really gets to me. <laughs> so when you're seeing all your friends die, essentially, and you're still under attack and you still have to keep pushing forward, it's really moving. And then once you get to the top and you fight, reno and rude and rude has some great moments there the plate ends up falling anyway and you you lose you escape on a zip line and you know you're fine and wedge is was in his house with his cats and you're worried about him and jesse and biggs you know are probably already dead and you got marlene out but the rest of the sector seven is basically done that is really rough and then all of chapter 13 is focused on dealing with the aftermath of that and really showing you what sector seven looks like now that it's completely trashed and a ton of people are dead and the people that survived are you know not they don't have houses they don't have anything you get great like just people in the background talking about this stuff this is the area where you've done side quests and you've met these people so it it is a lot more effective tifa's bar is here we've spent we've spent quite a, a amount of time here so seeing it destroyed works. Yeah, and you save some of the people, but it's still rough because that is that is an area you spent a lot of the game in, and it was kind of like, story-wise, your hub area, and now it's gone, and you have to walk through it to try and find Wedge. That moment was just like really emotional for me, and I was like, man, this game storytelling really is doing a great job for me. Yeah, it really works. There's also a moment, I don't know if it's in here or the next one, where, and, and I think it's another great piece of writing where Barra is freaking out about his daughter and he's like, rounds on Cloud and is like, tell me she's okay. Do you know where she is? And he's like, no, I don't know for sure. I, I think she's here, but I don't know for sure. And he's like, tell me, I won't be mad at you, I swear. And he's like, I can't. And he like freaks out and he's like, I'd still be mad at you anyway if you were wrong. And it's just, it's really good writing. Like it honestly, it's very effective. And again, for these stupid anime characters, goofy ass 
weirdos to like make me feel something is really impressive. Yeah, because and Barrett especially, you know, we're kind of we're skipping around the plot, and that's fine. But late, this is kind of later in the game when you realize that he has this daughter that he cares so much about, and he really cares about his sh- his avalanche team, and he's starting to warm up to Cloud. And then for him to worry about losing his daughter, the main thing he like is trying to protect in his life. This is the same guy with a gruff voice and a gun for an arm, but he's like the most sweet dad in the whole (laughs) experience. And he's so great. And then to see him like torn apart by this action is really upsetting. Yeah, it's it's remarkably well done. Which character did you get in the garden scene? Which is a bit later on before you rescue Earth. Um, like when you talk outside? Yeah. Um, I was talking with Tifa. I didn't know there was other options. <laughs> I, yes, I talked to Aerith. Okay. Uh, so it, it's dependent on um, which one you, I think it's dependent on which one you choose to go to first in the sewers. And mm. that would make sense. I wish the Aerith scene isn't very good. I wish I had gotten the Tifa scene. That one seemed a lot better. The Aerith scene is bizarre. Because she's captured, so it's not really clear if this is, like, her projecting herself or if it's Cloud imagining things, which I imagine... It has to be Cloud imagining things. It's just a weird scene. It doesn't really... It didn't really work for me. It has some of the worst writing ever, one of my least favorite tropes, where she turns to him and she goes, Remember, Cloud, you're not allowed to fall in love with me. And I roll my eyes massively. It's just... It's not great, and I wish I would gotten the Tifa scene because that seemed like it would have landed a whole lot better. Oh my god, and the Tifa scene also just really hit me hard, because whether you are, you know, shipping them or whatever, that's, all that aside is, you know, this is after that, I believe this is after the, the Sector 7 plate has fallen, because Aerith gets kidnapped after that, um, but, you know, Tifa's just out in the garden, and Cloud goes up, and they have, they share, like, a really emotional moment, because, Tifa lost her entire livelihood here and Cloud is really good childhood friends with Tifa and you know they share this really emotional moment and they hug and they it seems like they both just really needed that and that was really moving and really I don't know that part really got to me yeah I youtubed it it's 10 times better than I've seen the air scene is just weird and it feels out of place and it I guess if you were to read it as it is Cloud imagining things and he's telling himself, no, you're not allowed to get attached to people. You need to be detached. Then it works a slightly better, but it just doesn't come across well. So I, I do wish I had gotten that Tifa scene because it seemed a lot better. Because I did love Aerith as a character. She's so fun. And she like I love how she's constantly like making fun of Cloud. And it's just such an entertaining dynamic. And it really works. Yeah, for sure. Um, any other chapters you want to hit? Um, I do want to quickly mention chapter 12 with the plate falling. I agree. It's very emotional. It's very tragic. And then they ruin it by having this sonic-looking motherfucker. <laughs> and I felt like it really spoiled that moment for me. I know he's their character in the original game, but he never shows up again. There's no payoff for it. It just... I don't understand why they did that. I think it was totally a mistake. It totally ruined the moment. Because there's no other character that looks like him in this game, including another talking animal. So it's just this weird, like, what are you doing? Why why did you put this here? Yeah, and I know very little about the original Final Fantasy. Like, I know about Zack because of Play Kingdom Hearts 2, and I know that this character's name is Kate Sith, and I think he's a robot. 
but that's about all I know. So it's not like. But he looks like a he. He looks. He wouldn't be out of place in a Sonic game. It's insane. Like I don't. It. Oh yeah, for this sure. And that totally serious me, emotional but... moment. Like, and then you put this weirdo in it, and then later on you have a talking lion, and they don't look anything alike. What is this design? It's weird. And I just, it just did not work for me at all. Yeah, and for all you Final Fantasy VII fans out there. I know I'm probably going to get all this wrong, but I think he's like a mascot character that is a robot and is like hangs out with the gang in the or like at the start of the game or I don't know. It just it he's not in the game anywhere else except for this one scene. So having him in a, a really emotional moment just does kind of throw it. Yeah, it's it's I it's an interesting choice and i wish they hadn't made it let's talk about sort of the ending of this game um before Actually, we get before to we that, that yeah i want to talk about wall market absolutely um, so this is where that subway tunnels happens and some of the best music in the entire game is when you're best music with some of the worst gameplay where you're like operating these robot hands and it's just kind of boring yeah you fight beck's badasses and they're pretty funny characters which is pretty great oh they're great yeah it's just the slow like puzzle solving that's I struggle to call them puzzles because they're not where you're just moving these crates to progress that I disliked in that section. Yeah. Um, but then you get to, you get to, you're taking the tunnels to get around wall market to get back to seven. I just remembered a character. We're going to get to it in a second. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm so you, excited. Um, you go around wall market, you get to the gate to seven cause you're trying to get back to the wreckage to see what's left. And um, you know, you have a sweet moment with Aerith, but then you see Tifa in a carriage uh, going into Wall Market, and you're like, uh-oh, we gotta go save her, because that can't be good. Which is weird, considering the timeline, or at least the implied timeline, because to me, this felt like, oh, this is happening the next day after the plate fell. Why is Tifa already on this, like, getting to Dunkirk? It just felt like that happened no, this fast. Is, this is before the, this is before the plate fell. Oh, you're right. This is after the um, Reactor 5. Yeah. The... And after Cloud fell. So, like, it just feels like it just feels like that happened really fast. Yeah, they finished their mission, and then Tifa's like, all right, time to go. Yep, <laughs> we like, lost my down. childhood friend, but whatever. Work carries on. <laughs> like, it's just like, I just thought, like, timing-wise, it's like, hmm, maybe you could have implied Cloud fell, and then Aerith found him two days after or something, because it just felt weird. Yeah. Um. Yeah, in the notes, this is where the the sector six plate fell while they were building it. So wall market was kind of built around the wreckage of that previous failed plate. I believe this area, uh, wall market is so Yakuza. It oh, yeah. like, like it just bleeds Yakuza. It's really good. Um, Tifa's going to Corneo's place. You can't get in. So you have to get Aerith into his, contest to see who his wife will be which is you know because Corneo's a slimy douchebag asshole um so you have to get Aerith in and you have to do a bunch of side quests and stuff um you know talk who do about we have the, to do these side quests for um well you have to do the side quests for Madam M who's Madam your, M who's Aerith's sponsor for the because there's three leaders that each submit a girl for his wife contest i guess um madam m is t is Aerith's sponsor you get chocobo sam who is tifa's chocobo motherfucking sam (laughs) i love this dude dude. he's such he's a cowboy he's he's a cowboy and he's this 
dumbass Western music behind him at all times. And he has this dumbass accent. It's great. He's the best. <laughs> Chocobo Sam is great. He runs the. He's so stable. good. He needs a larger role. Where's my Chocobo Sam game? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, because he runs the stables with the Chocobos, which then allow you to fast travel later on, but it's really not used. But he's mainly there just as a great character. Yeah, he's 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 a highlight for sure. Um, and then you get Andrea Rodea, who is the leader of the um, Honeybee Inn, and he ends up being Cloud's sponsor when Cloud joins the wife contest as well. Um, this is where you get the arena fights with the Hell House. Um, you do some side quests for Chocobo Sam. Johnny comes back, and he's great in these side quests. From the one yeah. he's in. Yeah, for sure. And then this is the really like controversial scene, I guess. Um, it was really controversial for the original game, but Andrea uh, chooses to sponsor Cloud and dress him up like a girl to get him into the wife contest. But in this version especially, I, again, as someone who knows nothing about the original Final Fantasy VII, in this one, it's actually like really good because <laughs> it's not in a, in a lot of lesser lesser i mean in a lot of animes and stuff like this having a masculine character dress up feminine is usually played for laughs and it's super problematic and transphobic and really bad but in this it seems like you know andrea is really supporting cloud and you know he needs to do this to complete the mission but he does his best to make cloud look good and then cloud is like owning it you know he's a little embarrassed but he's owning it and then once you get done with it once you meet up with tifa you know tifa is like is that you cloud and he's like yeah i know i'm killing it <laughs> don't move on um yeah but it's not you know it could have really easily fallen into a really problematic or transphobic um you know played for laughs moment and the only way this kind of gets close is andrea rodea being kind of a gay stereotype but you know even that isn't played for laughs really which is usually where a lot of the problematic stuff comes in it's just you know this is andrea and he's dope and then cloud looks great in a dress and it's great so i think i don't know but i've heard how really problematic the original was i think they took a lot of steps to improve that for this version and i was really happy with how it turned out you know it was actually really great and seeing Aerith, you know get all excited about clouds dancing and dress up scene was really fun too yeah it's great and i i've i also i also have heard similar things about the original scene that apparently it's 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 shitty and so seeing them do it right is is really fun and I, I love how Cloud is like, it's interesting that you read it that way. I read it as like, he's like, yeah, move on, stop. <laughs> yeah, but he still is kind of owning it. You know, he's he's not, you know, super embarrassed when he's dancing on stage and all that. Oh, totally. And that's still really great. So he's he's owning it. And then when he's done with it, he's done with it. And he's like, yeah, I, I killed it. I'm, I look great, but we're good. Yeah, it's 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 a really, really fun, really, really fun scene. And I, I, I deeply appreciated it. It's a fun surprise, too, if you didn't know, because I didn't either. I was like, oh, this is what a 
what a fun scene. I also now want a Final Fantasy VII dancing game, much akin to the Persona dancing games. Um, I just really want to play that game. Uh, Square Enix, get on it. <laughs> I really, that dancing game annoyed me. Because you can do the practice beforehand, and the practice is really easy. And then we get to the dancing game, and all the things are speeding up, and like there's a lot of effects, and I'm like, I can't see this. And so I ended up doing really poorly on it. Yeah, no, change the gameplay, but release a full dancing game for me, please. <laughs> yeah, it's it. That is a. I'm glad you brought that scene up. It's 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 really good. Which is great because in the original, it was really bad. Yeah, and I'm, and I and I think that would have been really easy for them to just say fuck it and cut out that scene. And I think it would have been totally understandable. I don't think you know. I'm sure there would have been some outcry, but I think most people would be like, yeah, that was problematic. I'm glad you just skipped it. But I'm really glad that they took the time to make it right and do it well seemingly at least yeah and you know it's not perfect there's still andrea being a gay stereotype and cloud being all embarrassed that he's girly now but like all in all it's still pretty good so you know i'm impressed with the work they did on that yeah it's good stuff um i want to talk about the whispers because i think that and this all comes from spoiler cast other spoiler cast i was listening to talking about what they think the whispers are because they're not in the original game at all which yeah, and is shocking to me playing this yeah, game because they're really. a huge part of this yeah a massive part and on the spoiler cast people were bringing up hey every time the story threatens to deviate from what original final fantasy 7 is the whispers show up and fix that which is fascinating and this is what makes me want to play the original game like what a cool idea and i really it was actually i'm going to give him credit it was Imran Khan on kind of funny spoiler cast he said hey if you look at this game from a certain perspective and really boil it down it's a bunch of old ghosts are trying to remake Final Fantasy 7 and the heroes are trying to stop them and that is so cool almost as if the old fans are trying to remake it the way they want to but the you know the actual devs want to do something different yeah I I think that is such a cool thing and it really sets up for a sequel to this game that will that most likely be quite a bit different from what the original was, which is really exciting. It also sets up the theory that this game takes place in a different parallel universe to the original. It just it sets up a lot of cool Marvel style ideas that I really liked and I really appreciated. Um, yeah, these whispers are the biggest you know the biggest plot difference. So if you're an if you're a fan of the original, chances are you already bought this game, but it's it throws you for a loop in a way that I think is really interesting. And, you know, they want to, they want to do something different with this story in this world. And they're, it's kind of a in universe way of explaining why they're not following the original. And I think that's really clever. The whispers do. If you're not a fan of the original, if this is your first final fantasy game, like it is mine, uh, the whispers don't seem to have a motivation for the entire game. Like you don't really get a good sense of whose side they're on or why they do the things they do. And that actually got me really interested for the first couple times they showed up because I was like, Oh man, these are some mysterious entity that I know nothing about. But as it went on, they just kind of showed up and fucked with things and then left. And I was like, eh, okay, I don't really know what these things are yet. Um, it wasn't until the end of the game when Aerith, kind of explains that they're like the arbiters of fate that was like okay i can kind of see how this is being used to 
you know, they want to control how fate unravels and the characters fighting against that kind of becomes a big theme of the plot towards the end. Yeah, it's it's cool. And I, I love that concept. And I think it I think it works, even if I don't. I also don't really appreciate the, the Orbiter Whisper boss fight because you're essentially fighting three of three elemental versions of Whispers three times. And I just felt like it was a bit bit boring. Also, if you die during that fight and you hit, just hit put me before battle, the whole thing counts as a battle, so you get transported to the beginning of the boss fight completely, which yeah, is really which frustrating. I did. Yeah, I did as well. Um, and I imagine I imagine there's checkpoints in there, so if you hit checkpoint, maybe, but I don't know. No, because um, I got past what I thought was the checkpoint, and I still had to do the whole fight over again. Yeah, it's it's the most frustrating fight in the game, I think. Um, and it's the only time where I felt like. Uh, I just felt frustrated uh, because after that we get the Sethiroth fight which is a great fight and really fun and really epic feeling and I love that you're kind of going through these stages of finding your characters in your party and adding them as you're fighting and it just really worked um, it felt epic it felt cool what didn't feel epic or cool is at the end of that fight when Sethiroth transports Cloud to the edge of creation which is which is cool um, what's not cool is when he goes join me Cloud and you're like wait why? Why would he ever do that? What a dumb cliche thing for your villain to do. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And this is also... So about that final Sephiroth fight, it is very... um, It's very cliched anime of, oh, it's the power of friendship and you get all your friends and the connections you made are the real weapon. And I, I'm a sucker for that, so I really enjoy that, but I can see where that would be cliched. And then, you know, going to the edge of creation and convincing the hero to join him it's like that's all very very cliche of it's not set up in any way it just comes out of nowhere like there's no reason cloud would ever do that given the context of what we know there's absolutely no reason where you ever get the sense like oh sethroth's right on never once it's just weird like why did you do that yeah the only thing that could maybe point to that is sephiroth was like cloud knew knew him question mark as a kid so you know it's kind of but like i he would never join him and if you know anything about final fantasy 7 you know sephiroth is really the main bad guy for the whole thing so it's like you know why would you <laughs> why would he say this there's also the entire thing against uh or with genova and like the genova project and whether that's you know, Sephiroth or Cloud's mom or something. The Yeah, that was weird. Um, well, this game doesn't really deal with it, but that is something that is very important to the original game's plot and will most likely come up in the later Final Fantasy VII remake games. But here it's set up and then just, you know, saved for the sequels. Yeah, it's just, it contributes to why I don't really love this ending is because it feels like they throw a bunch of stuff at it at once Genova, all these Shinra higher ups, Red Thirteen even, where it's just like you're throwing so many new elements at me, and this game is over, and I'm just feeling a bit lost. This character named Zact, who looks like Cloud, who just shows up, and it's implied that he's in another universe, because in one Midgar blows up, and the other it doesn't, and it's just it's just really confusing and awkward. I think. Yeah, I think. Zack is Cloud's war buddy or something. He's but from one of the spinoffs. But I think he's yeah, from it Crisis just is Core. not explained well. Yeah, man, it's um a lot of this stuff is very 
you know, it's probably going to be important to fans of the series and fans of Final Fantasy VII or just going to be, for people who aren't fans of Final Fantasy VII, going to be something that is left to a sequel to explain. Yeah, I certainly hope so. It's just not very artfully done, in my opinion, where it's, it's too many dangling threads. It's too much to keep track of. All this, like, Sethroff stuff, and then it's just, it's a lot, and it just feels like, did you run out of time? Did you want to do more? Or is this really what you intended? it's just it's it's not handled super well um and i know a lot of people are probably gonna blame this on the director uh tetsuya nomura who has directed and written all of the kingdom hearts games and the kingdom hearts games are also just in a complete mess of untangled loose threads but i i don't think so i think the the writing and the planning for this project is such a huge endeavor that they probably are thinking you know, if not just for the next game, but for the next couple games. And I think a lot of this is, you know, this is the origins of plot threads that are explained way later in the project. But story-wise, they fit here, so we're going to put it in here. And since you're in the Shunra building for most of the final act, you know, that's where a lot of the stuff is happening. Like, I think it was just really smart that they didn't make Red 13 a playable character because introducing a playable character in the last act is not great. They're like, eh, he'll just help. Don't worry about him. He'll, he's here. Um, he'll help, but also nobody will react to this talking lion. <laughs> I mean, they're like, oh, has... he talks? And it's like, yeah, I talk. And it's like, and okay, they, cool. And they conversation <laughs> over. <laughs> it's like, okay, you haven't shown me other talking lions in this world, so is that a thing? I mean, they have mutants messed up lions and dogs and stuff so it's like eh, it's just shinra fucking about again i guess this one talks <laughs> it's weird is there anything you want to talk specifically that we haven't gone over um biggs is alive that's good <laughs> yes that was biggs and not jesse you fools wrong one yeah <laughs> i don't know i like biggs more um yeah and it He's continues with them leaving Midgar. I'm very, very interested to see where the Final Fantasy VII remake project goes because I really enjoyed this game. You know, it's in a way it's not complete, but in another way it is complete. You know, it's it feels like, and this is another just weird comparison, but it feels like... Um, like Star Wars Episode Seven, where it is an entire movie, but it feels like, oh, well, there's going to be more. So playing this by itself, I was I felt satisfied by the ending and the entire plot with the whispers and stuff. But then there was enough loose threads to be like, OK, I do want to see more of this and I want to play more of this because it's really fun. Yeah, I, I agree. It kind of reminded me of the feeling I had when I finished halo 2 back in the day and i'm like i really want halo 3 right now i want to see what happens next despite this game's garbage anime ending i still loved it enough to where i'm like i need to know what's going on how is this game going to play is the next one going to be an open world game is it going to be a more linear game like i just want to know i want more of that combat system i want more characters i want more options like i i'm really excited for the sequel yeah and as and it's also really exciting as someone who hasn't played the original final fantasy 7 like i know some spoiler stuff for like the very end but 
I there's definitely knowing... the one thing everybody knows. Yeah, exactly. Which and if you don't, then I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah, but the the I don't know. There's enough like interesting plot threads with Sephiroth and the Genova project, and you know Zach and what's with this alternate dimension and all of those questions. I don't feel like are left unanswered because the game's story isn't complete. I feel they're left unanswered for more story. And once we leave this story behind, which is done, then we can get into answering questions. all the major points i wanted to hit so if you're done let's let's talk about legacy a little bit which there's not that much to discuss considering this just came out um the one thing i want to talk to uh, talk about and this kind of annoys me is numora gave an interview where he was talking about um how many games they think this project will be and he was like we don't know we have no idea which to me is like a little like like eyebrow raising where i'm like but I like this one enough to where I want to see you complete the story. And I want to see you complete it right. So that that's a bit concerning to me. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I don't know. Because it seems like for this one specifically, they took Midgar, which was an area. And they're like, okay, we want all of the story points that happen in this area in one game. Because then we can flesh out the area. I don't know anything about the rest of the game, so if there's sort of a big structural location that they can flesh out, then that might lead to, you know, more games, or it might just be like, here are the main areas and where that goes. If the game's even laid out like that, I don't know. But From what I understand, it's not. After you get out of Midgard, it becomes more of a traditional RPG where you are now in an overworld map. And okay. It is a lot more open. So that's why I'm like, maybe this next one will be an open world game like Final Fantasy XV was, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because I thought XV was great. But I I don't know. Yeah, I don't... But if, if it's such like... If it's too open, then you can't really split it into multiple games, you know? Um, you know, this game already came on two discs, so if they try and do any more for one project, then you're going to be looking at a lot of data and a lot of content that you have to then develop and voice and this next game is going to take a couple years it's kind of come out on um, the next gen so i gotta imagine that that's not really a concern of theirs it's more i'm just worried about them being able to handle a cohesive story um especially if they don't have a plan yet after releasing a major game it seems a bit i'm just concerned is all yeah, I have faith that they will, like, have some sort of play. I think they have, you know, they don't know how many games it's going to be total, but they at least have the next one or two loosely planned out. Because we didn't mention it at the top, I don't think, but this Final Fantasy remake was announced properly in 2015. And that's when they showed, like, oh, here's a bunch of the stuff. And then they took an additional five years to you know, finish it. I think within that they had to be looking forward to 
what further games in this project are going to entail and then what they can what they can do with that i hope so i you know if this is a trilogy i want to be super excited about the final end of it you know i want to be i don't want to feel like oh the story went completely off the rails and now i don't care which is what i'm a little concerned about considering you know i haven't played these games but i've heard many people's reactions to kingdom hearts 3 which some of them like it and a lot of people don't because of that reason so that that's that's where i think most of my concerns are coming from yeah and that's where a lot of people will point fingers at tetsuya nimura who i honestly think just wrote the kingdom hearts plot as he went um just because of the way those plots hang out but the fact that this is you know they already kind of have an overarching plot they just want to fill in more details in it and you know change some things they still have a general idea to follow and judging by the fact that not only did this game sell like hotcakes but also has great critical acclaim and a huge fan base for it i think they're gonna really focus all of their efforts on this and i hope that it doesn't turn into too many cooks in the kitchen but i feel like having that sort of you know focused consistency with a bunch of writers i think they could really they could really stick the landing and i'm cautiously optimistic about the future of this yeah me too why don't we talk about the impossible question which is do you think we see final fantasy 7 2 next or final fantasy 16 um, I think it's going to be Final Fantasy VII too. I don't think they're, I think they did focus all of their efforts on this game in this project. So I think that's going to continue to be how it goes forward. You know, they're done with Kingdom Hearts for the time being. The Final Fantasy fourteen team is doing their own thing. Um, but I think all of Square's projects are either going to be focused on, you know, remastering old games like Crystal Chronicles, like they did for switch or working on final fantasy 7 yeah i think you're probably right though i really want to know what uh, what's his name i can't remember the near director's final fantasy game is going to be because he's supposed to be directing one i don't know if that's going to be a spinoff or 16 i i would hope it'd be 16 because i do think they need to get back on track with the series as much as i love final fantasy 15 seems like a lot of people don't but i guess that's a conversation for another day but yeah, I agree. I bet Final Fantasy VII will get a ne- its next installment before fifteen. Yeah, before Final Fantasy sixteen. Um, or sixteen. Yeah, you're right. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I just I hope the next game in this project doesn't take, you know, fifteen years or whatever it takes, because we'll see. Man, I'm hoping it's a clean four to three to four years, and we can get something great now that you know the structure the bones are already built i hope so it's it's kind of hard to tell square honestly they're especially their japanese side they're very they take their time it's kind of hard to predict what they'll do and how long it'll take um and i i do agree for a game with a dangling plot plot thread i really hope that that they already have at least a plan for at least the next game and that they're well into production i hope yeah i'm a strong believer in developers taking their time to make something great rather than rushing it out to meet demand so you know even if this takes another five to six seven years i think i'm still gonna be happy with the end result yeah i i mean i hope so i i really do this is also coming from a metroid fan who waits 
decades between games so you know i mean to be fair we're getting last of us 2 as a recording next month and that'll be what seven years after one so man the, the flow of time you can't just point yeah i know right so it's not they're not the only ones who take a while uh yeah so unless you have anything else um nope, do we want to talk about what's next so on the docket next you will be hearing uh let me pull it up actually i believe it's last of us right uh yes i believe so you'll be hearing last of us one yes that's right i'm really excited we're kind of recording these all out of order so next we're recording anodyne um so that's why i'm a little tripped up but yeah we're doing last of us and then last of us part two after that which will be very exciting so stay tuned if you're into those games yep be first be sure to follow us on twitter that's where i post a lot of the updates um we also have an instagram but i don't post a lot of the updates on there and yep just keep an eye on the feed the episodes will be there um and we'll keep you updated on what the plan is going forward yeah we'll see you next time when we talk about oh the ever so fun world of the apocalypse Uh, and the not relevant at all story of infection and death (laughs) uh too real too real all right i have been dustin and with me has been and i'm connor and we'll see you next time take care